90th Psalm is a very famous psalm. It, uh, it's the oldest of all the psalms in the book of Psalms. It was written by Moses. It commonly is read, by the way, um, around the gravesite. And just, we'll, we'll just read the first two verses here, Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, before God ever conceived them as the master artist and creator, even from everlasting to everlasting, Moses says, you are God. And again, where I have over the years most commonly read this, this entire psalm has been at a gravesite. Typically it's read there because it reflects on some of the deepest issues of human life and frailty. And, uh, you know, it's, it's often to a, a group of mourning people who are grieving their loss and uh, this this psalm speaks directly to it and but a lot of times those who are gathered are not privy to the context nor would I expect them necessarily to be so to the context of the psalm because really this was a song of Moses as he was thinking about the nature of life one of the things that would be helpful to be aware of is that as he considers the eternalness of God and how comparatively speaking we're really just small and our time is so limited and our life is so brief compared to timelessness. And Moses was aware of that because he had, um, he had that kind of bittersweet blessing that comes when you live a very long life. And it's bittersweet because you start to lose some of your strength. There's no question about it. There's uh, increasingly uh, things that wouldn't have been challenges to us become more challenging, especially as you move into the very advanced years. Moses was well over 100 years old. He had witnessed something. He had witnessed, and this is what happens a lot of times when we get older, especially I've talked to people, and they said this is one of the hardest things about growing really old is, is you have to say goodbye to so many people. And Moses had said goodbye to an entire generation. Part of what had happened is the generation that was supposed to enter into the promised land after they came out of Egypt, an enslaved generation that was set free with a mighty hand, as the scripture says, and uh, delivered somewhere along the way. They, they made a mess of things, and then you can read about in Numbers 14, but there was this rebellious moment that occurs, and essentially what happens is the entire generation is told they're not going to enter into the promised land. It's going to be your children, but not you. And they perished in the wilderness. They wandered in the wilderness, and then they ended up dying there. And this is a big part of the background to Moses' lament. It's really a song. It's a, a song of loss. At the same time, he's touching on things that are very relevant for you and I. And this is appropriate because we've been talking about the span of life. When we aren't promised tomorrow, we understand that. And yet at the same time, there's a lot of life that we would do a better job with if we were reminding ourselves that it is a gift, that it's not going to last forever. Now, read with me through, through the uh, first six verses here. <clears throat> we'll read out the NLT, which is a slightly different version. I think it gives it a little bit more of, a, of an understanding, a way of understanding it a little bit better. So, Lord, through all the generations you have been our home. Verse 2, and before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from the beginning to the end, you are God. You turn people back to dust, return to dust, you mortals. That's the old saying, dust to dust. For a thousand years are passing to you like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. I mean, for God, there is no time. We know time. What we struggle with is timelessness. In fact, we can't really conceive it. We really have nothing, because it is impossible to, for our mind to really wrap itself around the idea of eternity. 
We can talk about it, but really, when you, the more you think about it, it becomes like mental gymnastics. It's like, what does that really mean? No end. Um, anyway, Moses says God is unending. And he says you sweep away people like dreams that disappear. Our life is like a dream. He says, this, or it's like, he says our life is like a, a dream. We, we, we go to sleep and we wake up and, and our life is over. He says it's like grass that grows up in the middle of the springtime and in the morning time. And all of a sudden, as the summer comes, it just starts to, to die. He was talking, interestingly enough, about what happens when, when the, the, they would come to cut the grass, and some of it would, be not, would not be cut. And yet, that part of that that wasn't cut would still remain, but would ultimately, the sun would beat down on it, and it wouldn't make it to the next summer. And he says, such is our life. It's very fragile. It, uh, it's vulnerable. We, there's a frailty to our existence that we might, we might sometimes forget. He says in the morning it blooms, it flourishes, but in the evening it's dry, it's withered. And so, you know, he just talk, he's just talking about the precarious nature of life and how really uh, you and I need to be careful about making assumptions. We need to, we need, periodically when we get sick, I mean, we get reminded that, uh, you know, how, how important our health is and vitality. A lot of things we take for granted until we don't have them. Now, Moses went on to say in the, in the 12th verse of that same chapter, he says, so teach us. Notice the phrase, a very curious one. He says, so teach us to number our days. Now, what does that mean? So that we might learn or gain a heart of wisdom. In light of our passing, in light of the frailty, in light of the, the quickness in which we live this life, he says, Lord, remind us to number our days. And, and I think uh, it's interesting because I was at a, I was at a, a coffee shop uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I was, I was talking to, some of you know me, I like coffee. I was at Pete's, just to let you know. And um, uh, I was there, and I was listening to these two guys talking, and they were older, and, and, uh, but not, you know, oh boy, just a little older than me. Um, I listened to them talking, one of them was saying, yeah, I don't celebrate birthdays. You know how you periodically hear a conversation? I was kind of listening to the other day, yeah, I don't either. I don't believe in them. Right? And I couldn't help it. I was talking. I said, well, I turned to him. And I said, you know, birthdays aren't just for you. They're really for the people who want to honor you. Here I am defending birthdays. I don't even believe that much in birthdays. I mean, I'm not like a big birthday guy. And he goes, you know, you're right. And we started talking. And we just ended up having a discussion. I said, yeah, because it's good to honor your life. Honor your, why you're here. People get to say they love you and thank you. And I was like, hmm. We talked, and that was it, you know? I said, wow. So it's, how did I get, number our days? I don't think that's what he meant, Moses, necessarily. Mark them for each year, but I don't think that that's wrong. I think it's actually good to do that. We don't celebrate enough anyway. My wife constantly reminds me of that. She says, we need to celebrate more things, don't, you know, because I was like, ah, birthdays. But you know what? We need to remember people that are important to us. It's good to celebrate. It's good to remember. We don't do it enough as it is. It's like, well, every day, is, some people will say, well, every day is a celebration. I go, mm. Usually when we say that, we're not doing too much of it, you know? <laughs> I've noticed that. It's like, well, I don't celebrate birthdays because every day is a birthday to me. Ah, like, oh, come on. Be, be happy, you know? Let people be happy about your life. And go, go with it. And uh, try to enjoy it, you know? So I know we're all different. But the fact is, numbering our days, you know what, really, what he was really saying? He was really saying is that we need, to, we need to remember always that our days are numbered, that are limited in duration. We have been given a limited amount of them. And none of us here in this room, in this house of worship, 
none of us here really knows how many days we've been given. I've used the illustration before of a calendar. We really don't, you know how the ca most calendars that you see visually, they have usually blocks. It's divided up one, two, three, four, five, six, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And in a given month, you have blocks. We never really know when the last square is. We don't really know. This is the last square of my life. And a lot of times, you know, we, we just don't think about it until we have to. Moses was thinking about it. He was losing a lot of people. And he started thinking about life. And he said, Lord, help, me to, help us to number our days, to, to remember that because we're limited, that we need to think about how we're living. We need to live wisely before you, that we need to not be wasteful in the way we live. And that on this side of eternity, that we need to be thoughtful and reflective. And we need to consider, we need to slow down. And one of the benefits to coming to the Lord's house is we get to talk about things like this. And we make space for God to speak to us about it. We remind ourselves who we really are. And so, you know, Moses is saying, Lord, give me wisdom for living. And one of the ways he says you gain wisdom is by reminding yourself that we're only passing through. And truly, that is the case. <clears throat> In Genesis 8, 22, fascinating verse because it's God talking about creation. He says this. He says, while the earth remains, see, there, these, as long as this earth is as it is, this is way, the way it will be. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter, summer, day and night shall not cease. Now, that, that was the, the statement that was made early on in the Bible about the seasons of life and the seasons of nature that we experience. And really what we're seeing here is it was God who set the natural seasons in place winter, spring, summer, and fall. It was God who set the constellations and gave them boundaries. I mean, you think about what an amazing miracle our existence is. It's stunning. I mean, I, I'm certainly not extraordinarily well read on some of the things that I hear people talk about in relation to just the amazing nature of the way our globe has been placed sitting in the middle of a, of a just, it's, it's like, it's sitting up there. And, uh, you know, David, I remember in the in Bible, David's talking about he didn't know that the earth was a globe. So he did not have any advanced knowledge, the ability like we have to, to look at our earth. We, we, he didn't know it. He, he would look up in the skies above and he saw the vastness of the stars and, he, and it made him go, well, what's out there? And even now, we really don't know what's out there. We don't know what goes beyond. We have a lot more knowledge, but it's so vast. And it's amazing when you think about it, because how it's set up, I mean, if we were just a little bit closer to the sun, we'd be completely burned up. If we were just a little bit further away, we'd be frozen. But life is, is existing on this globe that's sitting in the middle of the, of the universe, and we're here, and God says, and think about it, it's like a Google map, right? Right, coming down. And, and it's like, we're, it's way out there, and then you come a little bit further, and then, then there's, there's a, there's, you can see there's something alive, and then you go further, and there are these little things. People. And each one of those people, each one of us, has a whole story of our own. You know, it gets big, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're, where are, what are we? And that's what David said. What is man? He looked at the bigness of it all. And what is this that you would even care about, about us? What is it that, that you would even want to visit us? And, he's, and yet Jesus said, God is interested. And he said, don't ever, don't ever think that he doesn't notice things. It's amazing. Don't ever think that. He said, you know what? Even the hairs of your head. He said, even the sparrow that falls to the ground. He's, our Father in heaven sees these. I mean, Jesus taught us not to throw it off and say, well, 
God's so big, God's so far away, how could he care about my little life? He does. He sent his only, only son to remind us of it. And, and that's a big deal, because you know what that's saying? It's not, it does, we have permission to take the only story, our lives, that we have, and to, and to interact with God around them. But that doesn't just happen when we're in a hurry. We have to slow down a little bit to do it. That's what Moses was saying, teach me, Lord, to live with wisdom. So our talk about the seasons, winter and the spring and the summer and fall, what we've been doing is we're saying, look, our life, whatever, you know, average somewhere between 70, 80 years, remember we talked about it? We said we've overlapped the natural seasons on the stages of life. We said there's kind of a spring of youth, childhood, adolescence. We talked about it, the early years. And then in that spring at some point turns into summer. Summer, you know, that young adulthood when there's still a lot of energy, maybe in that 20s and the, and, and the 30s and the 40s, we get into that. But then there's a point where autumn comes and midlife hits. And midlife over time, eventually it turns into winter. And winter has to do with those older years and the advancing age. And then we get into bonus time somewhere. And when you live long enough, you do, you have, what happened to Moses, what happens to a lot of people. They say goodbye a lot more. Life is a precarious gift. Where are we in it? What is the wisdom of the season? Last week, we talked about springtime. And I mentioned that there are a lot of people who, in their youth, get into trouble, make bad decisions, um, get hurt, get stuck in places, whatever. I mean, I'm not being casual about it. It's just, it's just the way it is. A lot of us have wonderful, um, have had wonderful childhoods, and uh, there are things that we look back f fondly on. I've realized that. Some people, in fact, reminisce constantly, it's interesting, about their youth or the high school, early days of college, just constant. Every time I talk with them, uh, I'm exaggerating every time, but I've known, there are some p in people that I've talked to I just, you know, I just, there's something I'm noticing is that so much of, of your conversation has to do with what, what once happened. What about here? Some people long for the past like a, a wounded lover with a broken heart, right? Others can't run from it fast enough and want to turn that page so fast and, never, and rip it out, crumple it all up and throw it in the fire because it, it, it's such a nightmare. You know, one of the things I mentioned this last evening too, when, you're young, when we're younger, we can make mistakes and recover better. There's more time. That's true. That is not, that is not telling us that we should make those mistakes. But I've, I also know this. The older we get, the more we realize that the margin of error is diminishing. Now, you, we, we can't, there's something you can say, well, if I don't get this right, I can come back around. That, now, that's an assumption that we have time, but I would agree. Youth offers that. Springtime does offer that. But the further we go along in life, the, the, the closer that margin begins to come to narrowing. And we, there comes a point where we go, you know, I, I cannot make a mistake. I need to do this right. It's not like I'm going to be able to come back around and try it again. I have to live wisely. I'm going to talk about the summertime. Summertime of life. Summer represents that phase in our lives, where we, again, where we usually shift into adulthood. Usually it's a season, I'm just a, I think it's a season that's characterized by building things, planting things. <coughs> laying foundations. Summer is that period of our life where we're sowing seed into the ground and we're praying that at some point this is going to create a harvest that's going to grow out of it. And if we happen to be able to plant things in the early summer, you know, it'll, it'll come to pass uh, before a lot of times real early in the fall. Maybe even late summer. We'll see, begin to see a harvest. But it, it's this time where we usually have, usually have a lot of energy and vigor. 
it's associated with, and we need it because we're trying to build things, and there's a career that we're trying to think about. Maybe a lot of times getting out of school, you got a career to start thinking about. It's a real adjustment there. A lot of people try to postpone it as long as possible. Other times, this is also a period in the summertime where many, not all, but many begin to, to build a family. And a family, you know, usually comes, you know, I, in our life, we, we started real early in our summer. We didn't, we, Cheryl and I joke about it now that our kids are a lot older, but early on, and we, we didn't even know what we were doing. We were so just uh, in a daze. It seemed like we were in a 10-year daze, you know. It's like we had those four kids in, those, in that 28 to 32, and it was like nonstop diapers every, every, I mean, it was just a nonstop. And I'll tell you something what I think. I think that the most exhausted people in the world are the parents of young kids. I do. I really believe that. And I think, and I know this is not, a, well, this doesn't apply to me. Well, you know what? Maybe someday it will. And we all know someone who it does apply to. But I know it's not a marriage seminar, but I'll tell you this. I think you need to, we need to pay a lot more attention at that time of life to one another. Because it's very easy under the exhaustion and just the, the stress, the, the stress of life to draw apart from one another. Like you're like ships crossing, you got nothing to give. You're tired. It's about you're not meeting my needs and you're not meeting mine. You don't care. Everybody's waiting to get taken care of. And you can walls get built up. It can be tough. And then later on when you know that's how come things fall apart. And I'm telling you, there's a shipwreck out there. There are shipwrecks everywhere all over. It, our culture's laden with them. It it takes a, life takes a toll on relationships and it just brutalizes them. We need to ask God to give us wisdom to be attentive, to pay attention to things, to welcome the Lord in the middle of all that weariness and say, Lord, remind me I need to, I need to love this, my husband or my wife, not just my kids. Remind me of these things. I'm just saying that again. I, I know not every, all of us are at that place, but this is important. You know, it's interesting. I was at, um, it was a New Year's Day. I remember because uh, Cheryl and I, the family was all together. A lot of, everybody happened to be home. There was a lot of energy in the house. Every, we were just getting up in the morning. It was one of those times where we, we, you know, I don't know how many more years we'll have of it, but we had one, and uh, we were all sitting in the kitchen. It was kind of like a little center. center. Everybody was flying around and through, and kids going this way and that way. And, and Cheryl and I were, just, we were having a cup of coffee. We were drinking, talking a little bit together, and then all of a sudden, Aubrey, our youngest one, who's going to be 13 real soon, she came wandering in, and she's our daughter, and uh, she... Uh, you know, I don't know how it happened, but I said, come here, let me hug you, you know? My pe I call her Peanut, don't tell her I, that's her nickname. <laughs> but I said, come here, Peanut, let me give you a hug, you know? And uh, she wasn't that interested. <laughs> and I was like, I said, come on, you know? And then, and then Cheryl, Cheryl was there, and we were kind of just going, she kind of liked it, all right, she's kind of out of obligation, all right, what well, went on? And I said, I said, where's the love here? Come on, Cheryl, did you see that? What's going on? Um, you know, we just walked off, and I thought, you know, now, there are times, she just, it depends what mood she's in, right? But it's like, I understand that. At the same time, I was just, it got us talking because she said something to me. I, it really hit me. Because I said, don't you remember how Aubrey, I mean, Aubrey, I said, Aubrey, she used, to, she used to, like, all she could do is hug. Remember that? When she was little, she was like the clinging one. Anybody came around, she was like, on your leg. I said, do you remember that? You remember when you just, you have to walk with her? It's just like, I, I, you know, she doesn't, she's not comfortable with people. 
you know. And uh, you know, I remember that period. And I go, she always loved, wanted to just be close and touch. And I go, now you know, like, give, give me a hug. And she's she's resisting, right? And so I was I was thinking about it, and she goes, you know what? And she says, you know, because it reminds me. She said this, and I was I was going, wow. She goes, it reminds me. She says, you know, if I knew, she said, if I knew that the last time. What did she say? The last time I carried one of them to bed or held their hand in a grocery store or, how did she, or, or one of them fell asleep on my lap, if I knew that the last time was going to be the last time, I would have lingered a whole lot longer with it. And I thought, you know, I, I can't even remember the last time. Huh? I don't remember it. And, and we were just sitting there in one of those moments. And you know what? Life doesn't come with signs on, usually that says, this is the last time we're going to have this conversation together. <laughs> this is the last time we're going to laugh at one another. This is the last time I'm going to have the pleasure of being able to just enjoy your company or tell you I love you. It doesn't usually happen that way. It sometimes does. But a lot of things that happen, or just with the children, you know, it doesn't say, okay, don't forget, this is the last time you're ever going to put them to bed. No, it's like, I, I don't remember. But now I look back, somewhere along the way it ended, and I didn't even know when it was. Can you hear me? Summer is a time, and this is our, our thought, it's a time for lingering over our blessings. Because you know why? A lot of times we're in such a hurry. We've got plans and schemes and dreams, and, and we're on the move, and we're on the go, and we're going here, we're going there. I was talking to somebody last night after service. I couldn't believe all the things he was doing. And he goes, and I love it. I go, you know, and I got that. It made sense to me. At the same time, I'm reminded of the fact that there are things that we need to linger over a little bit more. Let's be very careful in the summer of our lives about being so agenda-driven, so career-driven, so achievement-driven, and I'm big on achievement. I am. I think it's important to try to strive to grow. But I'll tell you something. Let's also take time to linger over our small blessings because they'll be gone before we know it. And we need to treasure more moments. And we need to slow down. And we need to ponder and reflect and say thank you to God more. And we need to tell people we love them more and our life wouldn't be the same without them more. We need to do this. And summer is a time to remember that. It's a time to stop and not get so consumed with things that we don't pause to linger over our blessings because those blessings will not always be with us in the same way. Nothing remains. It's all passing. Let me also suggest that summer, besides being a time for lingering over our blessings, is also a time, and again, these principles apply to wherever season we are, but particularly in this season, but it's also a time for putting away childish things. There are two passages of scripture that really come to mind to me. One of them is in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Look at what it says. It says this. Paul writes this. He says, when I was a, you know, he goes, when I was a child, I, was, I, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but he says, but now I'm a man. And I, I, he goes, when I was in the springtime of my life, that was one thing. But now he says, I'm a man. I've, I've moved into a different period and I need to put away these, these things that I've been playing around with and I'm not really paying attention. He, what he was saying was, it's time to grow up. There's a time to grow up. There's a time to accept something and to quit hanging on to what is now needs to be let go of. There's a time to embrace responsibility. 
there's a time he's, you know, think about it. Jesus always talked about being childlike. He would say things like, you know, the kingdom of God is something that you have to experience to experience it well. You have to be like a little child. Jesus talked about being childlike in the sense that we're open and, and, and open to wonder and joy and willing to give our heart away. And he said that you really can't experience the reality of God if you come guarded. So he says there's a gift of being childlike where your cynicism is pushed aside and you open up your heart to believe. He says now God can move. The kingdom of God is filled with little children. That's what he said. Childlikeness is different than childishness. Childish has to do with selfishness and immaturity, really. And Paul's saying it's time to put that away and grow up. It's a powerful statement. There are things that God wants to now get us to let go of. We've been dabbling too much. We need to step into it and, and begin to grow. We've been thinking about it. We've been fooling around. Now We've got to get serious with God. It's time. It's the time. It's re- the moment is now. There was another verse that came to mind, Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, because we're surrounded with such a cloud of witnesses. By the way, that is a direct reference to the chapter that precedes it, chapter 11, in which it's called the Hall of Faith, where it's not called that, but that's what it is. Some people say that's the example of all these people from the Old Testament who lived for God in amazing ways, and that was, was designed to be an inspiration for us, examples. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, in light of the examples that we have been given, let us also think about how we are living this life. He uses the metaphor of running a race. He says, let us lay aside those weights that are bogging us down, that stuff that's keeping us from moving forward. Sometimes it's our past. Sometimes it's false conceptions of, of what, what we think you know, we, we are, and we need to surrender to what God says we are. Sometimes it has to do with things that we get stuck in, and there are snares. He says, don't get entangled with things. I mean, I think about somebody who's all wrapped up and has no ability, think, ensnared, caught. I'm, I'm stuck. I, I can't get out of this thing. Bound up. It caught me. It got me in a net. I'm in it. I can't get free. There's this, there are things that the Lord wants us to get free from. He whom the Son sets free is free. There is an element of freedom that God wants to work in our lives in relation to things that are holding us back from moving forward with what He wants us to move into. And in our heart, we want to do it. And we're afraid. And we're stuck. And that has to do with learning how to grow and becoming free from things. A lot of times it's stuff that we're carrying with us and we're having a heart and we don't even want it anymore, but it's sticking on us. God wants to teach us how to let it go, how to move forward into a new season. You see? And this leads me to the third piece, which is he wants to teach us, really, honestly, summer is a time for knowing ourselves. You say, wasn't that something that, like Socrates said? Yes. Know thyself. What does that apply for a follower of the Lord? It, everything. It means something. It matters. Because you know why? I'm not talking about being self-absorbed. Oh, this is all about me. No, what we're talking about here is actually being a student of ourselves for the point of growing and becoming better. It's good for us to pull back, to interact with others, to get some good input, get counsel. There's wisdom in interacting with others who are trying to make the same journey, who are training in the same direction, who are serious about it. None of us who are really serious about moving into anything should do it completely alone. 
The value of a church and of a community is it has opportunities to connect with people, whether it's through ministry, in classes. See, sometimes it's not even the issue of what it is exactly we're serving together in. It has to do with the fact that we're interacting with others and we're making a journey together. And when there are, there are times in our lives we're going to need to talk to people and pray with people, when we actually get serious with God to a point where we want to address something, but we're afraid. We don't know if we can be, be real about it. And the Lord is saying, if we do, he says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There's an element of breakthrough that comes when we bring others into the conversation honestly and openly if we really are serious about moving forward with God and that's what I'm contending for is that we take it seriously that we seek to live with a heart of wisdom one man said that all of us should strive to know before we die what it is we are running from and to and why all of us should think about life strive to know before we die what it really is we're running from what are we running to and why? What is God trying to say to us? What are things we need to resolve? The time is now. The season is now. Let's listen and act and respond. Small steps bring big gains. So Lord, as we are here before you and we are in this afternoon period we're thinking about what it means to live a life worth living, to, to know ourselves as you know us, to increasingly move into dimensions of freedom in our lives, Lord, where, where we're allowing you to work things into us and work things out of us, God. And I really want to ask for you to do this in, in our hearts, Lord. These are real matters. These are things that last, Lord, not games that people play sports and entertainment, which we all enjoy. Those things pass away. They're just going to be statistics in a book, but this is real life, Lord. The words that you gave us, these are the things. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away. Your word will not pass away. And I pray, Lord, that we'll think hard about what really matters, Lord. And we'll be more open to what it is you're trying to do. Be real about what our weaknesses are. and Be open to addressing them, Lord. And think about the things that you're calling us to invest into so that we'll see a crop, a good harvest come in the years ahead. I just pray for increasingly your hand to be with us. And I just ask for your blessing over each of us who are here. I pray for... This closing, these closing minutes as we enjoy the power of this song and as it connects with what we're talking about, about this life of ours and what it means to live it forward, I want to also ask you, Lord, to give us open eyes to see and ears to hear. And so bless this time, bless these closing minutes, bless our time of giving as many of us honor you with our, our giving time, our tithes and offerings. I pray that you be honored in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.